Difficulty Class, a podcast about all things Dungeons and Dragons. I'm one of your hosts, Allie Deichman, and with me this week is... Trevor Bettis. That's right, and this week we will be talking about the Satanic Panic and Alignment in D&D, as well as answering some listener questions at the end. Trevor, how were your games this week? I had too many of them. Too many? (laughs) (laughs) Um, It hit me this morning when... I thought back to last night's game and went, why didn't that feel like that float as well? And I went, oh, you've run four games in as many days. <laughs> yeah, I know the feeling. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I actually texted my group. I'm like, hey, so I don't do this a lot, but can we do a rewind and like do that last part again? Because I feel like I can present things for you guys to react to better because I don't feel like I did that. Yeah. Um, and the combat like fell so flat that I literally cut it down when you guys just kill everything. Oof. And the, so today I'm like, yeah, okay. So four games in a row in four days, a little much. Yeah. But I mean, uh, the, the games were still fun. Um, Friday night's game was a fourth edition game. Oh my God. That was crazy. And uh, <laughs> took four and a half hours for two encounters yeah and we remembered why fourth edition went away uh (laughs) saturday was our bookstore game Mm -hmm. uh did some cool beholder stuff hey that thing about uh beholders being scary for kids (laughs) turns out didn't matter had a bunch of adults oh yeah see it works out like it worked out like that (laughs) um and then sunday i ran my nephews the two uh, my two nephews first game of D D. I don't want to hear about that. It was so much fun. They, uh, my, my, uh, my mom was like, I've literally never seen these two so glued to something before that wasn't a video game or oh a phone. Oh my God. That is so good. Like they sat down the table and I was like, all right, I don't like, uh, yeah, I give you guys gifts and stuff. Today's a lot of gifts. Just know this isn't a regular thing. This is a special day. And I threw down the Dungeonology book, the Young Adventurer's Guides, two of the Endless Quests, and then the game. <laughs> so I, I threw down a lot of stuff, and they were just... I got them little figures. We got them dice. We got the all the stuff. And we did the, the starter set. They killed Clark. My nephew killed him with a critical hit. Oh my god, perfect. And it was super cool. Like They both were like, yeah! It was, it was fantastic. Oh, that sounds so wonderful. Yep, yep. And uh, and then last night's game, uh, before me lulling off into not-quite-good DM-ness, uh, it was really good that you were exploring Chult, and uh, a, a lich may or may not have killed uh, one of my player's previous characters. Oh. So that's fun. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> How are your games? Oh, well, they were good. Um, I didn't have as many, believe it or not. Uh, usually the it's tables... probably a good thing. Yeah, usually the tables are turned. Usually I'm the one with like five games a week. and <laughs> But yeah, I only had uh, the Friday game and the books, bookstore game. And the bookstore one was interesting. I wasn't expecting it to go down like it did because we bumped it up. We've been doing like level five adventures mm-hmm. for like the past two advent... Like, oh, more than that. I think we've yeah. been doing a couple like a couple months now yeah and then we were like okay well let's bump it up we'll go to t- level 10 well on saturday i had a full table except for two people who never played DD before yeah that's kind of a harsh starting off point <laughs> and so that was kind of a tricky challenge for me to be able to dm and help and guide people all the while kind of slightly teaching them how this entire game works but 
I mean, the easiest way to do it is just to tell them, hey, tell me what you want to do. And then you as the DM just decide, does it happen? Yeah. You know, and then roll some dice in the middle of that. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's what D&D kind of boils down to, so. I, I actually, um, I had a new player at my table, too. Mm-hmm. Um, he was watching the game for a little while. I'm like, hey, do you want to play? He's like, no, I think I'm just going to watch. And he grabbed a character sheet at one point, was looking at him like, are you sure? He's you like, all right, let's play. <laughs> and uh, it was so great because <laughs> he sits on the table, I'm like, uh, I asked him his name, and then I'm like, okay, so you, uh, you can p- pick a character name or you can just use yours. And he goes, Charlie Sheen. <laughs> like, without missing a beat. <laughs> so he had a bard named Charlie Sheen. That's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, it was a great, fun little session because I, at one point I uttered the words, roll for tomato. <laughs> And, you know, it's like, it's nights like that where you just kind of really appreciate D&D and what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I believe I walked over to your table and a child was yelling, eat the, eat the tomato or whatever the hell it was. Yeah, it was great. I loved it. And then playing that in that fourth edition game. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my it's God. like, it was halfway through the second encounter when I realized I was missing half of my things that I should be putting into account for mm-hmm. my attacks and Yeah, such. because the app that I thought was going to do all that math didn't do all that math. And it was great because I later that night I went home and I looked at my, my original 4th edition character and I'm like, oh, because that character had a ton of stuff just written on the yeah. encounter powers too. So it's like, oh, this isn't a new thing. I just forgot that it was a thing. But I'm, not, not just that, but like like on my side of the screen you guys fought a beholder and it had 900 hp that is just an insane amount yeah <laughs> i'm actually still trying to find a creature in fifth edition that has that much <laughs> um yeah no fourth edition was um it, it, it's got a nice nostalgic memory in my head because it's the first edition i played and we played it for two years and yeah. all that stuff and but my god God. <laughs> certainly something and a half to, to jump back to. Yeah. And, like, what, what's crazy is I went back and listened to the Penny Arcade games when they when they were doing 4th edition, like, when it started. And at the, the lower levels, I'm like, oh, this is a good game. And, like, I and I still think back, I'm like, those adventures are fun to listen to. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of good stuff going on there. So I feel like 4th edition is a really good 1 to 10 level game. Yeah. And then after that, it's just It's just ridiculous. and figuring it, out what to do next. And it's a it's a big game of, like, chess yeah. in a weird way. Because you well, got to figure out your move to and help. And it's not just chess. It's it's like a time gate, though. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, you're level 11, so now everything needs to have over 100 HP so that the encounters last longer. But now they last exponentially longer than they did before. Yeah. It's, it's cut. That's exactly what it is. It's an exponential... Yeah, difference. it is. It is. <laughs> it's not a nice even climb. Hell, I, I was sitting there going like, you know, Pathfinder is not that bad. <laughs> <laughs> we literally said that. Yeah. It, it, we even were sitting there talking about like maybe second edition's not going to be uh too terrible. <laughs> oh god. But moving on, um, we've got some dungeon keeping to mention, uh, yeah, Trevor. Yeah. The so. The adventure series are going to be on hold for a little while. I have had zero time to edit that one I recorded with Dusty, Dallas, uh, uh, Matt, and Ryan. And then we the fourth edition game was testing out recording in a big group, everyone at the table. And 
I don't think it sounds good. We're going to take a listen to it after the show, uh, but I'm still trying to figure out how to record a table on the budget that we currently have because yeah. I don't know if you know this, listener, we don't make any money off of this. <laughs> this is true facts. Um, so for right now, they're going to be on hold, and uh, whenever we get something in line, I'll, we'll announce it here on the show. Yeah. Um, going into news. Well. Oh, God. Uh but to put it brief, it's the Kraken Dice debacle. The it's, debacle. <laughs> it's it's uh it's not great. It's not. No, it, if it, if you're unfamiliar, there was a Kickstarter a while ago, uh, and the company called Kraken Dice uh, had all of these pictures of these ridiculously beautiful dice. Yeah, like, like no duh, you're gonna get them. <laughs> like oh my god, they look like gems cut out and put numbers on. Yeah, they're, they're beautiful. But a lot of people have been getting their their dice, and they do not look like that. So I think one of the main issues is the fact that it's been over a year mm-hmm. since all that was like promised and finished and cut off and said, okay, it's happening. But mm-hmm. then the ship date got pushed back because they said things weren't right, so we want to push it back so that way we can make sure we give you the right stuff. Mm-hmm. And then six months later... They send out the shipment, and everyone is complaining, it feels like. Oh, yeah. Because something's wrong with something. It's like... There's a a couple of Twitter accounts that are dedicated just to updates on what people are saying. Yeah, because, I mean, a good majority of people haven't even gotten their dice yet. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, and and those that are are getting ones that... Like, I've seen two people talking on Twitter that got the same dice set, and they look nothing alike. Completely different. And, like, they were even like, maybe, like, it's because the lights in the room is different. They've tried different pictures, and they are just completely different dice sets. Yeah, and it's like, I've seen, I've seen pictures where it's like, oh, the, what they were promised was, like, this bright, like sticky note yellow color mm-hmm. where it's like it's super neon yellow and then yeah. it's like oh this like super bright like almost candy corn orange yeah but then you look at it and it kind of looks like a muddled brown and then like a the mustard potato yellow. Yeah. yellow yeah yeah and it's like oh what is happening here and it's not even great yeah it's, it's and then there's just some technical aspects too like some of them aren't even sticky yeah, so some people were reporting on Twitter that uh, they were getting dice that were sticky and even fused together in the bag. That's just poor resin curing right there. Yeah, it is, and uh, a couple people on Twitter have been saying to be careful with that because uncured resin is toxic. Yeah, to, so, to ingest. To ingest. To be fair. But, but it can get on your hands and stuff, so if you get dice like that, you know, put them in a bag, don't throw them out, because that could also be bad. Yeah, um, it's, it's a And toxic. wash your hands. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that whole thing is, is pretty disappointing. Um, and, and just to top everything off, the customer service is literally zero help. They even, I mean, like, they're a Kickstarter that earned, like, a million plus dollars, and their customer service literally states, like, they have a whole page saying, you're not entitled to a refund. Yeah. And, I mean, their reasoning is that, oh, you didn't back this reward, you backed this company. Yeah, and to be fair, that's a big thing that's been going on with Kickstarter for a while, where it's like, you're not pre-ordering, you're donating, and your donation is getting a reward. Yeah. So... I get it, but it also sucks. Yeah, especially when you're promised this reward, mm-hmm. and so there's your motivation to donate. 
And when the reward comes, it's like, that's not what I was promised. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it feels just bad overall. The, this last part, is, it's it's a rumor. I don't have any actual sources on it, but I saw a few posts on Twitter today that were saying that they talked bad about Kraken Dice on Twitter and then found out that they were banned on the official Facebook page. Wow. So, you know... Look out for that if uh, if you're trying to actually get genuine customer service stuff. Yeah, always go through their official channels first well, before anything. I mean, as much as you can. Oh yeah, yeah. If if you get stonewalled, then yeah, go to Twitter. Then, and then you can't out. do anything. Yeah. yeah. Then you have to just speak out. <laughs> yeah. But that's pretty much all we got for news. Um, moving into the first topic of the day, we've got the Satanic Panic. Oh boy. Now, uh, this is a very, uh, let's say, special topic because Trevor has taken it upon himself to look into this. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have the wonderful uh, pleasure of not knowing much about it. <laughs> well, like, you know, we, we, we started this podcast and we were like, oh, let's do, like, advice and stuff like that. But I also think, like, having, like, some stuff where we're looking back on what happened and having a conversation about it yeah. would be a pretty cool idea. And... Uh, this idea got kicked up recently again by Stranger Things because at the uh, in, during the season they do a news report that's like Satan in games <laughs> and it shows D and D, and I'd always been fascinated with what actually happened there, and it was fascinating to go through this. <laughs> I'm excited to learn because uh, I mean, like, just base note, like, how do you get to that point? So we're 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 gonna go through that. <laughs> Yay. Um. Well, in order to fully understand this topic, we have to look at something crazy that happened in the late 70s, early 80s. Uh Uh-huh. We could spend a whole episode talking about the satanic ritual abuse that was rumored to be happening across the United States during the time. (laughs) But basically, people were accusing one another of being Satanists and claiming uh, that everything from worship, occult magic, human sacrifices, all the way to actually summoning, summoning demons were happening. So, it's like an occult version of a witch hunt. Well, I mean, like, or the communism, like... Yeah, no, sorry, sort of. Like, it has actually been, like, um, uh, equated to that and, like, the, the, the McCarthyism and stuff like yeah. that. Like, that, those sort of witch hunts. But this was, instead of pointing towards, like, celebrities and stuff, it was, like, your neighbor. Yeah. Um... So, strangely, one of the most targeted groups of these accusations were daycares. Really? Yes. Uh, several small middle-class daycares across America were not only accused, but fully investigated by the police of sacrificing children and doing lewd rituals. Oh my god. Yes, this was a <laughs> real thing that happened. <laughs> So, I mean, usually for that kind of stuff to come up, there has to be an example, right? Or it's like something had to start that. Uh, Yeah, and like where that part of it really started is kind of muddled. Yeah. Um, There was a big case that happened. Um, I don't remember the name of the the daycare, but uh, like literally it took 25 years to get one of these people exonerated. Wow. Yeah. And it's, that's terrible. <laughs> it was, it was. And, uh, it's, so this was the kind of stuff that was happening at the time. So that's the atmosphere. Yeah. And th- this panic was picked up not just by religious television programs, but even, uh, once like 60 minutes. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, also, local news, like, in certain areas, regularly had segments on the satanic panic and made insane statements like 4% of America were Satanists. <laughs> That's so ridiculous. I love it. Yeah. and Wow. And, yeah, so, like, there was, when they called the satanic panic, they really mean it because panic. people yeah. were freaking out that anyone that walked by you on the street was a Satanist and targeting you for a ritual. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, so now, now let's, let's get into how this got into D and D. Uh huh. So uh, where this mainly started is in 1979 uh, when uh, James Dallas Egbert III went missing at a Michigan college. No one seemed to know uh, where he he was, and his parents hired a private investigator named William Deer. Deer went to the college and started doing his investigations, during which he found some books he wasn't familiar with, Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, okay. Uh, these were the old advanced D&D books, which admittedly have lots of demons on them. I mean, yeah. I mean, you got you got one that has people climbing up the demon statue, you get and the get thing. the eye out. And then the, de- the Dungeon Master's guy has a demon holding a woman up while other people are trying to fight it. And of course, all of this is like an inked, like, sketch-like yeah. drawing, yeah. so it's like... <laughs> Oh, it's not looking good. It's not. So, admittedly, okay, I, I, I see where you're going with that. Um, through Egbert's friends, uh, he learns that it's a game, and they show him uh, stuff like the character sheets, the dice, the miniatures. One thing, however, stands out to Deer. A cork board with push pins in a strange pattern. After doing some more research about the school, he figures out that the pattern is a map of the utility tunnels underneath the school. That's interesting. Yeah. And, you know, (laughs) as soon as I hear that, like, it is kind of, it sparked my mind because, like, I've drawn maps for stuff and used, um, you know, other maps as base points for it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, even today I joked with my coworker, I'm like, oh, man, I should do an adventure that's in an office building. (laughs) Because we joked about there being, like, a cubicle mimic. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, like, it was funny because I think last month I saw someone posted um france released like all the catacombs they actually mapped out wow all the catacombs underneath i want to paris. the shit out of that and someone immediately quote tweeted that saying so when are we going to get the map for this yeah yeah freaking <laughs> uh caves of madness right there yeah <laughs> um but but here's the thing I, it that was where my mind went however Egbert and his friends didn't think playing at the table was enough for them. They apparently would go into the tunnels below the school and play D&D in a almost sort of LARPing fashion. Huh. Obviously, the school uh, wouldn't have been okay with this uh, if they had known, so Egbert's friends weren't forthcoming with that information. So, Deer had a theory. Uh, These kids weren't happy enough just rolling dice. They wanted to make it real. He hypothesized that while playing in the tunnels, things got a little too real and someone had killed Egbert, like uh, what would have happened in the game. Oh. Now, this theory might not have been so harmful on its own, except he went out and told the police and the media about it and uh, to actually get a look into the tunnels. Oh, no. Yeah. (laughs) So, again, to be fair... He wasn't allowed into the tunnels before that point, so if he hadn't gone and done this stuff, he probably never would have gotten to look in there. Yeah. Uh, because, like, he literally, like, went to the police and, like, got a bunch of them together. So, with a small army of cops and reporters with him, William Deere went to uh, into the tunnels below the college to search for Egbert's body. 
they didn't find anything. I was going to hope so. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, like, it, like it, uh, when I was listening and watching this stuff, it just made me think of, like, Geraldo Rivera, like, with the vault. And they're like, <laughs> all right, here's where all the D&D nerds killed each other. Oh, it's empty. Oh. <laughs> all right, back to you. <laughs> um, so it, it it's good because... They didn't murder anyone. That, that is good. <laughs> that yes. is good. Um, but because he did this, this got into the media's eye. Yeah. Um, a couple weeks later, it was discovered that Egbert had pretty much had a mental breakdown and ran away to New Orleans. Oh, okay. Um, there's some pretty dark stuff here that uh, doesn't pertain to D&D, but Egbert did later take his life a year later. Oh. Yeah. Um, but again, it had nothing to do with the game. Yeah. Uh, this was just a kid that had probably undiagnosed mental illnesses. Going through college. And, yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, however, these events started to spread like wildfire in the media. And people started calling D&D uh, a game for devil worshippers. And that players took the game too far to the point of murdering each other. Oh, no. This wasn't helped by the 1981 novel uh, by Rona ja- Jaffe. Uh, called Mazes and Monsters, which shamelessly fictionalized the events of James uh, Egbert into a story about a boy who loses touch with reality and kills someone thinking they are a monster in the game. Oh, seriously? It, it, it gets a little better. Uh, this <laughs> book uh, is a is a big contributor to the rumors of violence and sacrifices going on with people playing the game. It is worth noting that, and I shit you not about this... That book, Mazes and Monsters, was turned into a made-for-TV movie adaptation starring Tom freaking Hanks. What? <laughs> this is a real thing. You can go look at it on YouTube. I don't know if they have the whole movie. But this is a real thing that happened. Tom Hanks' like first starring role is in a movie called Mazes and Monsters where they're basically demonizing D&D. Oh my god. Yeah. I'm sure Tom Hanks would love to eradicate that from the history and our minds, but unfortunately it's here. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, now, uh, the events of the books may sound absolutely insane by today's standards, but the unfortunate thing is, is that it did actually happen. Yeah. Stuff like that did happen. Um, I, I remember seeing a bunch as a kid, like, there's a Reno 911 episode where Patton Oswalt plays a D&D nerd, and he's trying to, like, just play it off like he's crazy, but he actually killed someone because he, like, hurt his character or something. Ah. And I always thought of them, like, oh, that's insane. Like, nobody would, that, that, no one would ever do that. But it did happen. It did. And that's kind of the unfortunate thing about the story is that there is some basis of these worries Except nobody summoning demons. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, and not to mention maybe even the worries themselves caused these things to happen. I mean, like... Maybe, yeah. It, <laughs> it, it could... I mean, putting ideas in kids' heads, stuff like that, maybe. Yeah. Um, but uh, it, it didn't take much... Uh, oh, oh, I screwed that up. Uh, it didn't happen uh, as much in the me- as the media would have led you to believe. But there were unfortunate deaths that were connected to Dungeons & Dragons. Possibly the most well-known is Irving Pulling. Uh, now, I'm going to put a little bit of a warning here. This is a little bit disturbing. Oh. So if you know some dark stuff like upsets you, maybe skip ahead a little bit. Um, Irving's family found their son dead on the front lawn when returning home one night. Oh. He had shot himself with his father's handgun. 
there was a note that essentially, and uh, it's essential because uh, I'm not going looking for a kid's suicide note. I'm just going by what I uh, heard on a news report. Uh, that uh, he uh, that his character had been cursed in the game, and so he had to kill himself. Oh wow! Yes, that was essentially what the note said. Okay. So let, let, let's be clear. This is freaking terrible. Yeah. Do not, under any circumstances, take what is happening in a game to be real life. The only thing you should be taking away from the game is the fun and enjoyment you get out of it. Yeah. I know that doesn't really need to be said, but I'm going to say it anyways. Like rule number one is have fun. Yeah. Now, Irving's mother, Patricia, is a controversial figure in these events. Um, don't get me wrong, uh, she is a grieving mother, uh, but some of the things that she did is not well looked upon. First off, she tried to sue the principal of the school for not only allowing kids to play D&D, but for letting her son get cursed. Oh. During that, she also filed a suit against Gary Gygax and Dave Arneson, the creators of the game. Both of these lawsuits were later thrown out. After that, she started bad. Bothered about Dungeons and Dragons. I've heard about that. Oh, really? I I hadn't heard about it before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's obviously spoofing mad mothers against drunk drivers. Yeah, exactly. Um, And so I was like, I wonder if she was really upset that she couldn't take mad mothers against Dungeons and Dragons. But (laughs) bothered. Yeah, uh, but uh, she went with bothered. Um, And at at this point, I understand what Patricia uh, was getting at, and I, I can't really blame her. However, she latched onto the satanic accusations of D&D and wouldn't let go. Uh, Bad had flyers made and spread not only across the United States, but also as far as Australia, uh, (laughs) thanks to connections through evangelical televangelists. Oh, okay. Uh, Together, they spread rumors that D&D caused everything from murder, Satan worship, to homosexuality. Oh, okay. Yeah, and that was literally the part where I'm like, all right, Patricia, you've lost me. Um, so later she would, uh, go on to get a PI license and even consulted with police in cases that were believed to be connected to Dungeons and Dragons. Around that time, she also co-authored a book called The Devil's Web in which she urges police to, uh, who believe a child has been playing Dungeons and Dragons to open questioning with, have you read the Necronomicon? Yeah, that's what I remember is that that was involved. And... Probably most hurtful to this case for her and the other author is they don't actually distinguish in that book that the Necronomicon was written by H.P. Lovecraft as a fictional artifact. Yeah. And not a real thing. Yeah. Because I know you you can go down to a bookstore and buy a book that says Necronomicon yeah. on it. It is written by Anonymous, and but it is not in any way the Necronomicon. <laughs> it's essentially like a big fan fiction it's well sort of some people like do believe some of the stuff that's in it but yeah for them it's it's not the necronomicon yeah it it was a made-up thing made by hp lovecraft yeah um it's so her and him not really having done the research of going that far kind of puts mm, yeah kind of puts bad light on what they're doing Possibly the oddest part of Patricia's story for me is uh, that her biggest outspoken opponent was Michael A. Stackpole. Do you recognize that name? A little bit. Why? Uh, he was an author of a large majority of Star Wars Rogue uh, Squadron novels. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I met this guy. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, he 
eventually ended up uh, writing a bunch of papers uh, against her and even did, had one that showed research that teen suicide was actually on the rise in the 80s but that gamers and specifically Dungeons and Dragons players were in the smaller minority group of those teens than other cliques yeah so it was just like hey you can't be saying that this game's causing kids to kill themselves when it's not doing any more than what the other kids are doing yeah um so William Deere Published a book in 1984. This is the the PI from Egbert's case. Yeah. Uh, it was called The Dungeon Master. Uh, in it, he said Dungeons & Dragons was likely not to blame for the mental status of James Egbert, but more likely his, uh, his domineering mother. Mm, it's too late, though. Yes, and that's the thing. Like, Even though this was published in 1984, which was kind of... Five years at, later. Just about to peak with where all of the... the the bad stuff was going on with the satanic mm -hmm. panic it no one was going to pay attention to this book that he wrote that all. said that the the kid the case that started this all wasn't what they thought it was yeah and not i guarantee you i don't know this for sure but i guarantee you not one media outlet picked that up not all. to rescind that case yeah um so the satanic panic was going to turn dnd uh out was going to turn on D&D at one point or another in the 80s, but it stands to wonder if it weren't for this first case that uh, caught the media's attention, if it would have been such a widespread urban legend. Hell, you, uh, you can go right now and watch a segment on YouTube of 60 Minutes that uh, 60 Minutes did on the dangerous game of Dungeons & Dragons. Mm. Uh, I, I watched this. It was absolutely fascinating to see. It, it was a segment from 1985. Okay. Um, in the interview, uh, they talked to Patricia Pulling, William Deere, Gary Gygax, Dave Arneson, as well as a man who claims to have a PhD, but also in the same breaths claims to have seen a kid summon a, and I quote, Dungeons and Dragons demon. Specifically. <laughs> Specifically. <laughs> like, not like these second-rate demons. No, no, no. no like, no, no, no. A, no. like like this dude summoned, like, a chain devil. <laughs> like a CR4 demon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, oh, and, real quick... <laughs> There's also a man named William... Oh, God, what is it? Schneb, Schnebnull. Schnebnull. It's a weird name. Uh -huh. uh, <laughs> uh, who, in the 80s, claimed to have consulted with TSR, and if you're not familiar, TSR is the original uh, publishers of Dungeons & Dragons. So he claims to have consulted with TSR on Dungeons & Dragons to, and I quote, get the spells right. <laughs> he uh, claims to be qualified for this because he's apparently a Wiccan priest turned Satanist priest turned biblical author. Huh. Oh, he also said something about receiving messages from aliens. So uh, That's a fascinating chain of Again, life. this man was interviewed by media in the 80s and even wrote articles. So there, there's a, <laughs> there was a religious um, uh, comic strip that was going on at the time that you know covered certain situations of like be like hey you know christian kids here's how you deal with this they hired this dude mr uh freaking consulted on spells dude to write a comic series for them <laughs> so this has got another funny twist to it so they convinced they got him to write a comic series where it was about D D and somebody loses touch with reality and murders her friend and naturally it, yeah yeah kind, kind of that whole thing this was also turned into a movie. Can you guess when? When? 
2014. What? <laughs> what? And like, I want to believe that it was kind of satirical. I haven't seen it or anything. But yeah, this was made in 2014. What? Yeah, the same year 5th edition came out. Oh, uh, you know, do you remember what year the whole Slender Man with the two kids... Ooh, uh, I think that was 2015, somewhere around there. Because, like... I actually just listened to a podcast about that, so... Because, <laughs> like, you saying, like, I don't really see it happening, like, now, it's, like, actually, that kind of sort of... Wow, you know, when, when you put it in that kind of perspective, you're not wrong. Because like, those, those kids lost touch in a weird way with, quote, reality. Yeah, because um, when they got caught... And I'm, I'm going to put... So, the, the story is, is that these two girls held down a 12-year-old and stabbed her, I think they said, like, 16 times. Yeah, a lot. Now, the good news is that little girl got away. Yeah. She survived. Uh, but when they asked these two girls why they did it, they said something like, we did it to prove ourselves to Slender Man to become his proxies. Yeah. And, but then I guess, like, she, one of the girls also claims to have had a conversation with a Ninja Turtle and Lord Voldemort. Yeah, so... it's a, it, again, that whole concept of losing touch with reality yeah, situation. Yeah, and I guess, like, if you're gonna lose touch with Slender Man, why not also Harry Potter and some turtles? And, like, Michelangelo, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I, yeah, but no, that that is a good point. Like, that is, if there were a game of Slender Man, well, okay, there's a video game. If there was a tabletop RPG, that might be start getting the same looks that D&D did back then. That's actually a really good point that I haven't thought about. Um, I mean, like, this is why we mentioned last time about, you know, be careful what you play with with your kids. Yeah. They're super impressionable. No, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, 100%. That's why, like, when I played with my nephews this weekend, like, I avoided using some of the more colorful language I use for things dying. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you don't want them repeating that. Yeah. I pretty much just said, and you take them out. There you go. Instead of you lop his head off and throw it into the <laughs> the, the freaking whatever. Uh, yeah. This wasn't everything that happened during the 80s with people thinking D&D was making kids turn evil. Uh, but these were just some of the key factors. If you're interested in learning more, I recommend uh, you go look at some YouTube videos, namely this that 60 Minutes piece. Um, there's also a book called uh, Dangerous Games by Joseph P. Laycock. Um, I haven't read it. Uh, I heard a small interview with him, and I've read some. And his, his book was actually referenced a few times in, my, oh, okay. in the stuff I was researching. And I guess it's got pretty good reviews on Amazon. So oh. I'm I'm probably gonna pick it up at some point. Lastly, I don't need to say this, but D and D does not cause satanic worship, and it's crazy to think that uh, there was a time where people actually believed that. Don't take for granted that we are probably living in the best time for D and D. Yeah. Uh, mo- uh, more controversies might pop up over time, but I doubt they're ever going to be as crazy as the time a man with a PhD saw claims he saw a child summon a Dungeons and Dragons demon. That's... How specific? So, 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 I mean, like, if he'd actually said the monster, I'd be like, all right, Gary Gygax, what you got on TSR? <laughs> but this is like, I saw him summon a Dungeons and Dragons demon. And... I'm surprised I actually noticed that because I was really distracted by his hair. (laughs) (laughs) It was the 80s. Yes, naturally. I'm like, oh my god, though, that's... Thoughts? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, like, I can... I can see how it just... It... it, The the slinky of just terrible events. Mm -hmm. How it got to that point. And, like, I feel like the, the main satanic panic... 
and the D&D stuff, like, if that, if the Satanic Pants part wasn't happening, I don't think the D&D stuff would have gone on for oh, as yeah, long no. as it did. Because that went up all the way into the 90s. Yeah. Like, there, I, I even remember in high school in the early 2000s, people saying, like, oh, D&D, that's that, like, double worshiper game and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Like, that was a stigma that stuck with it for a long time. I mean, that's why a lot of, like, boomer parents nowadays are yes. even hesitant about getting their kids. Like, the kids are saying, oh, kind of want to get into D&D, and parents are immediately like, no! I, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to name names here, but... I had a friend who um, we started playing at his house, mm-hmm. and his dad uh, apparently was like hiding just outside the room and listening to what we were doing because he worried we were getting into Satanism. Oh, cool. and this was two thousand twelve. <laughs> cool. <laughs> yeah. So that stuff does still happen. It's not yeah. as widely spread, um, and obviously not as widely believed and. But that's going to trickle Cautioned. into our society for a long time. It is. Yeah. Like, yeah. that, that, I mean, Stranger Things spoofed that recently, which I thought was really good. They actually used the, the uh, Dungeon Master Guide demon oh, in the yeah. article cover, which I thought was really good. That's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that was, uh, that's all my research. I hope you guys learned something and found that to be interesting. If you did, um, uh, write in at difficultyclass at gmail.com. Yeah. Let me know what you think. If you'd want us to do more segments like this, we'd love to hear from you. Yeah. And if you find out anything else uh, crazy and inane about the satanic panic in the 80s, especially with Dungeons and Dragons, please let us know. I mean, like, or even if you personally kind of went through Oh, that. yeah. No, if you've got a story, please send that in. That would yeah. be amazing. It would be so neat to look through Yeah, I, I would I would 100% love to read that, even yeah. if we don't use it for the show. <laughs> Definitely. All right. Well, next up, our DM's Guild Spotlight of the Week. Yeah. Right now, it's the Christmas in July sale for the DM's Guild parent company, essentially. Yeah. Well, the um, it's pretty much all things that are D&D related on there. I checked just before the show, like, uh, Murder Boulder's Gate's on sale, the 4th edition Player's Handbook's on sale. Yeah. Uh, a, lot, a lot of stuff is on sale right now. I might just get a couple things because I've been looking at stuff and now's my time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, and I know, like, normally we do this to be like, hey, go check out this small, uh, you know, publisher or writer and stuff. But we thought it'd be good to be like, hey, if you've been hesitant about getting into DMs Guild stuff... Now's a chance. Now's the, the great chance because mm-hmm. you can get in there pretty cheap. Yeah. And you can still support people by like leaving a rating and stuff too. Oh, that does yeah. wonders for <laughs> just small just publishers. like you know small po- podcasts that you like also about Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. You, you know, leaving reviews you know. on on books, podcasts, videos. You know, podcasts. They're, they're, they're all good. <laughs> did we did we say podcasts? <laughs> podcasts. <laughs> but yeah, uh, definitely go check it out, and especially just even if pay what you want stuff too. Like just mm-hmm. check out a few things. Uh, it's really neat to get into that kind of thing and it expands your game options. Yeah. Not necessarily even if you're the DM and you're not going to use it right away. It at least gives you well, ideas. They got player stuff too. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they got the turtle on there. Yeah, definitely. Turtle. <laughs> and yeah, they got a lot of class options too through there. So go ahead and take a look. Mm-hmm. All right. But that brings us into topic number two. Alignment. Alignment. Yeah. Um, like, that, what alignment would a lying PhD man have? <laughs> probably chaotic neutral. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe a little evil, huh? Maybe. Um, evil tendencies. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I kind of wanted to just talk about 
what alignment is, mm-hmm. um, generally how it affects the game and what it actually means to the game. Yeah. Because and, there's a lot of uh, meme culture out there that would claim a lot of characters have the wrong alignment. 100% wrong alignment. Yeah. Because they don't quite understand what alignment means. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I guess it's a good way to start right there. So, there are nine alignments technically in D&D. Mm-hmm. Um, just like how there is uh, like, oh, what's your sign? And then, but you're like, oh, you're a moon version of it. There's different, it's what I just said. Mm-hmm. He's chaotic neutral with evil tendencies. Yeah. I kind of do feel like there should be a sun and moon alignment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my sun alignment is, uh, is lawful neutral, but my moon alignment is uh, chaotic evil or some crap. You know, it's like, it. you are technically one certain alignment but that doesn't restrict you at all Mm -hmm. um but going into the basics first there's nine alignments technically yes (laughs) there is starting from left to right top to bottom right there is uh chaotic good neutral good and the lawful good Mm -hmm. then there is chaotic neutral Mm -hmm. neutral true neutral people say and then lawful neutral which is a real thing Mm mm-hmm and then there is chaotic evil, neutral evil, and lawful evil. Also a real thing. Yep. And all very valid alignments, too. Um, <clears throat> kind of depending on what real campaign you're playing, all of these alignments can be on a character sheet at a D&D table. Oh, yeah. And uh, it doesn't matter if you're playing in a technically good campaign, you could have non-good characters. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the beautiful thing about role-playing games, is that motivation can come from anywhere. Motivation is a thing that you should always have. Yeah. Um, because why, and, and why are you there? Alignment can push that motivation. Yeah. It can help you figure out what your motivation should be. Um, because if you're a neutral character, should you be doing this for the sake of your neighbor, or yeah. should you be doing it for the money? Or is there a favor you can personally gain it's like it's that kind of concept that alignment really does help find motivation for people like i I kind of feel like the like in fifth edition we have the the flaw the bond and the ideal yeah and i kind of feel like those are an expanded idea of alignment yeah because it's the bond itself even has like in parentheses afterwards mm -hmm, saying like what neutral evil good and they tell you like this is what it is and because and, like the way that I always used to use alignment was uh, if I had a moment where I instinctively like I myself had my instinctive instinctful reaction to it I'd consider the alignment and be like okay is that what I want to do or what they want to do yeah and is. so I used it kind of as a barometer and ideal bond and flaw kind of make that a little bit easier to look at Yeah, it's another great way of helping you just not play the same character over and over again, which Mm -hmm. will eventually just kind of get diluted into you playing you. Yeah. But um, let's, I guess, start with the differences between that spectrum, right? Because there's the left side, which is the chaotic side, and the right side, which is the lawful side. Yes. Um, I guess the main difference is, I like to say to my players a lot, is the difference between lawful and chaotic is not uh, what you do, but it's how you go about it. Yeah. Um, because what you do is depending on if you're this the vertical axis yeah. of that of good, neutral, evil. Uh, how you go about it is chaotic versus lawful. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and neutral is in there too yeah. because there that is a path. Um, but I mean, I know there's like the classic example that I've seen a bunch of times is there's a cat in a tree. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like um, chaotic neutral would be like you climb the tree yourself and get the cat because you want a cat friend. But then like lawful neutral would be I call the police department and leave because they'll handle it. It's like there's two mm-hmm. different approaches, but you're doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then chaotic evil sets the tree on fire. Yeah. But then <laughs> lawful evil would try to broker a contract with the cat. Yes. Or the cat's owner is just like, down. how much do you want your cat? Yeah. yeah. You know, it's there's a set of rules to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, lawful also doesn't necessarily mean the land's law. That's, yeah, that's kind of my biggest sticking point with people is that lawful does not mean the written law. Like the actual rules on the board in town. Yeah. It means like lawful can mean you have a code that you stick yourself to. Yeah. Lawful can mean like you have a pirate's oath that you don't break. The pirate code, mm-hmm. for example, like Barbosa would be some sort of lawful. I, I remember having a conversation <laughs> with someone who was, like, upset when I told them that Tiamat's alignment was lawful evil. Yeah. And they're like, that doesn't make sense. I'm like, that 100% makes sense. Yeah, it does. Yeah, I'm like, she's got her own rules mm-hmm. that she's not only applying to herself, but all of her dragon minions. Which is why a lot of devils, too, yes. are very much lawful. Oh, because yeah. Because they do nothing but broker in contracts. I mean, they do... that's one reason why Descent into Avernus can exist, because they are more interested in their contracts which mm-hmm. is a lawful thing and getting you to sign it than actually murdering you yeah because there's a set of rules that they have set themselves even though they're evil mm-hmm. that if they break there is consequence yes uh, whether it be personally like if i break this law i personally feel terrible about it or i break this law and there's repercussions from an outside source like mm-hmm. a, a land's law which is how i like to say it yeah but, uh but generally that's lawful lawful doesn't have to mean rules it yeah. could just mean uh, your own code the um neutral though i've kind of thought of because like my i don't know about you but my favorite alignment to play is actually lawful neutral oh yeah um and i think that's because a lot of the characters that i make are kind of strangers in a strange land kind of people yeah uh, like alarith is an elf who popped up in a human town surrounded by a bunch of humans doing human things <laughs> So I feel like his alignment being lawful neutral was really good because he had a moral code to himself. Yeah. But he had no actual connection to the people around him. And that's kind of the big thing for me with neutral is that it's not that you don't care that that kitten is in a tree. It's that you don't have any connection to the person that owns it or Mm -hmm. anyone else around them. (laughs) Yeah. So you can be lawful neutral and save that cat yourself. I mean, I remember seeing somewhere that, um, like, the in real life, the good majority of people in general, like, in, on Earth, mm-hmm. are lawful neutral. Yeah. Because they'll try to follow the best they can, the land's law, mm-hmm. and they won't try to go against it. Yeah. Granted, we'll have some chaotic tendencies. Yes. But generally, we'll, we're lawful people. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's and, how society works. And <laughs> that is kind of the hard thing with alignment is that y- you... You do go through different alignments throughout a day. <laughs> like, yeah. you do. Um, that's one reason why I love in Pathfinder, I'm looking into playing a vigilante, and they actually have dual 
alignments. You have an so alignment he, yeah. for your your persona and then a, an alignment for your secret identity. Mm-hmm. And I really love that because it would be like Bruce Wayne's alignment is completely different from Batman's. Yes. Like because <laughs> of his uh you know perception to everyone He's not going to just start beating the living shit out of someone <laughs> in the middle of a hotel lobby. Yeah. Batman will. Yeah, Batman will. <laughs> and then, you know, leave him a vegetable and be like, I don't kill anyone. Yeah, but you left him with so many medical books. That's a different conversation. Yeah, uh- <laughs> yeah I mean, like, in my rogue in Pathfinder 2 can change alignments like that. Yeah. I mean, like, granted, that's a technical aspect because a lot of Pathfinder things deal with what alignment you are. Yes. However, the fact that she can, I think, just even as a player, like, as a flavor concept mm-hmm. is really neat. Mm-hmm. Because I always imagine, like, oh, I switch from my chaotic good situation to a lawful evil. I imagine her whole entire disposition just changes. Yeah. She puts up the cloak. She immediately changes how she, she walks. She, uh, she scrubs her hair over one eye and just starts <laughs> doing dances down a New York street. You know, like Spider-Man. Yeah. <laughs> um... Now, what would, what would you say with these? Because like, we kind of give this like broad description of you know lawful, neutral. What what would you say is chaotic? Um, chaotic is more disregard to what happens to others mm-hmm. in your choices. Because um, that could be chaotic good, that could be chaotic neutral, and it could be chaotic evil. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, if you're chaotic good, you're doing something for the sake of others, but you could be going about it in a way that doesn't necessarily benefit others. Yeah. (laughs) Like, um, obviously there's the very clear description of you're breaking the law doing good things. Like Robin Hood. Yeah. Chaotic good. Yeah. He steals from the rich, feeds the poor. You know, it's, he's breaking the law very much so and he goes to jail and all that stuff. But I mean, it's for a good reason Mm -hmm. and it's for the greater good (laughs) quote. So it's like, Chaotic can easily mean against the law, but it can also mean just not necessarily, I don't know exactly how to describe it, but it's definitely with disregard more to the common people mm-hmm. than otherwise. Yeah. Um, so I actually brought up the, the probably the most widely seen... <laughs> chart of uh-huh. the alignments and I'd like to read them off for you and then oh, yes. get your opinion on yes. it. Wait, who the hell is this middle thing? <laughs> oh, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> Took me a second. It's just kind of a blurry image. So, lawful good, Superman. Neutral good, Mal Reynolds from Firefly. Right. Uh, chaotic good, V from V for Vendetta. Lawful neutral, Captain Picard. True neutral, Treebeard. Chaotic Neutral, Jack Sparrow. Lawful Evil, Darth Vader. Neutral Evil, and this is probably the, the strangest one on this list, a Xenomorph from Aliens. Huh. And Chaotic Evil, uh, which is the Joker. Chaotic, okay, yeah. The Joker, I can understand being Chaotic Evil. That's like the number one thing that I would agree with on that list. Yeah, there's a <laughs> lot of problems I have on this list. Yeah. Uh, for instance, I don't think Mal Reynolds is neutral good. I think he is lawful neutral. Yeah, no, 100%. Because like we were saying, he has a code for himself. He has a code crew. for himself and his crew. And if he were good, he'd probably be fighting uh, against the the He wouldn't military be a brown people. Yeah, he, yeah <laughs> well, like he probably would have stuck with that resistance thing more than yeah. you got defeated and now we're just going to go into hiding. Yeah. 
Um, Picard at lawful neutral. I wouldn't. I'd say he's more good than lawful. Yeah, because like, and I because I understand it because there there's the whole you know the the what's it what's that thing called that you can't break because when you come into contact with new races. The, oh, you know what I'm talking about. I do. Yeah, you're, you're not. Somebody's to, screaming at the freaking phone right now. <laughs> you're, you're not. It's it's definitely like rule number one of yeah yeah. Where you're not supposed to make contact. The prime with, directive. That's what it is. That's what prime it is. Directive. You're yeah. not supposed to make contact. So so like I understand that you know the prime directive kind of goes against lawful good, but the thing is though is that Picard visibly at times looks distraught about doing that. Yeah. And that's the part that makes him good is that he may be doing it, but he doesn't feel good about doing it. Yeah. Um, Whereas like, I would imagine that Kirk would be more chaotic. Good because he hundred percent goes against that prime directive. Oh yeah. All the time. He breaks so many rules. He was the renegade captain essentially, Mm -hmm. but he was doing it for the good of Starfleet and for his crew. So Mm -hmm. chaotic good would fit him. I mean, Superman lawful good. Yeah, sure. I mean, if you've got the stereotypical paladin at your table, you can make him fly any Superman. Yeah. I mean, like if you're going for like, action comics era kind of Superman. Yeah, no, 100% lawful good. But if you're going for, like, Justice League era Superman, he might not be. Yeah, like, even, like, Man of Steel. Oh, Uh, yeah, that's a different one. But it's only slightly, because, like, yeah, he kills... um, Spoilers for a, what, eight-year-old movie. (laughs) Uh, uh, He kills Zod. Yeah. But, like, then he just screams in pain after doing that. But my only... I, I, it's also just a movie direction to Zack Snyder's whole destroy the entire city destroy thing. the entire city with no remorse for the actual people yeah no no. The, and, and I feel like actually alignment is a good thing to talk about here is I feel like that's why there's a disconnect with people about that scene is because for the large majority of that movie he is lawful good and then as soon as he starts fighting the other Kryptonians it is like chaotic neutral like he just doesn't care anymore he just wants to finish his own personal fight uh, i remember god i don't exactly remember what happened in the episode but in the old superman cartoon that i loved there was a villain who was just toying with superman by throwing stuff at citizens and making him stop it yeah and there it's just he just it it is that kind of alignment shift i mean like it's the perfect example of the beginning of batman versus superman You start out with the end of that movie and Bruce Wayne literally, Bruce Wayne, not Batman, Mm -hmm. saving people while Superman is just off destroying buildings. And it's like, there's a complete just juxtaposition there, which also builds up the movie, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, Yeah. that's why I'm saying like Superman can shift depending on what era you're looking at him. Um, I I still want to talk about that for... Uh, that in a moment but I do want to bring up a listener question because yeah. I feel like it's a, a a good time to do that um so Aaron uh he wrote in or I don't know if it is a man or a woman so <laughs> they wrote in uh last week but they also had another question uh what's your stance on the alignment feature are you a fan of it uh for character flavor or do you think that it actually holds players characters back long term because they picked chaotic neutral but really uh the more they play uh, they feel for an adventure that uh, really is chaotic good or chaotic evil. Um, is it better to just say you do you basically and let characters see what uh, what happens using consequences or rewards as the evil slash good of the outcome choice instead of being locked to just doing uh, good 
on the whole because you don't want to be a jerk this game, but you know you're <laughs> missing out because, you, uh, while good, maybe you did uh, want to participate in the thief mission uh, with another player because you heard that there might be cool things in that location. So That's a multi-part question. <laughs> that is, but I feel like there is an overall answer there that is your alignment can change. Yes. And most of the time, especially in a good story, it should. I mean, that's literally called character development. It is. And so going back to the this chart here, like, I feel like there are, um, you know, like they have Darth Vader as lawful evil. But that is kind of, and, and I, I do agree that he is lawful evil, but there's kind of a widespread there. Because I would also argue that the Punisher from Marvel Comics is lawful evil. Yeah. Those two characters are extremely different. And not to mention, you aren't locked in. What did, who's Darth Vader? Yes. It's Anakin. So Anakin, over the span of six films, just waves. alignment yeah he was never static and that never held him back for his choices and and like some people don't like the 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 saga because of that because they feel like anakin is just all over the place but you know people are kind of all over the place too um (laughs) but for me that's one of the things that i enjoy about it is the fact that you see these moments of anakin changing alignment like at the beginning of uh attack of the clones that dude is straight up lawful neutral. Yeah. Like, he yeah. is a Jedi, he's a Padawan, he, that is his whole life. And, no emotions, I have to do these. <laughs> and then his mom dies. And then that and is not And he the goes situation. straight to chaotic evil. Yeah. Like, most of the time you just jump a rung or something like that, he goes straight there. Yeah, completely. And so, and yeah, he's covering up the rest of the time, but I feel like... Especially, okay, let me reword this here. Let me get these all thoughts back together. Your alignment, I feel, is one of the things that you have more control about than most things in the game. Yeah. Now, granted, if you just straight up say, my alignment is changing, and there was no real event to do that with. That's. If your DM goes, no, it doesn't, that's fine. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, your alignment isn't necessarily what's on paper. Uh, your alignment isn't because of what you wrote on what's, what's on your paper. Your alignment is because of how you role-play your character in a yes. weird way. Uh, I mean, I know how we started this out by saying your alignment helps you in how to role-play your character. Well, but... it does, but if you start having arguments with yourself about, like, no, despite what that says on my paper, my character would do this, time to change those letters. Yeah, because then maybe your character has changed from when they started the campaign to maybe how they are at level five at the end of Curse of Strahd. Oh it's like, God, yeah. it, it very much can change. It is a fluid thing. Yeah. It's not static at all. Like, and, I, I don't think that your character should be changing uh, alignments left and right through no. a campaign. But if there is a significant event that happens that you feel would change your character... You can do that visually by changing those letters on your sheet, announcing it to the table, and then playing that character differently. And I think that's fine. And the other thing is if you're worried that, oh, no, now I've made the emo character, they can come back. Yeah. You, they, you, can, tell your, you can tell your DM, like, hey, can we do something in the story that helps my character come back from where they're, they're at? Yeah. I mean, like, that's the beautiful thing about D&D is that it is a huge storytelling device. Yes. And uh, character development 
does kind of happen in an arc. Yes. Uh, you could have an upside, and then you could have a downside, and then you can go back. So, you know, so. so what, basically what I'm trying to say, though, Aaron, is that I am 100% in agreement with the alignment system. I think it is a good thing to have. Yeah. I think it is a poorly expressed uh, mechanic, but I think it is a needed mechanic. Yeah, definitely. And you did have another question in there that uh, that said, um, do you think that players should start at chaotic neutral and then as they play, it changes? No, because if all players start, at, if your characters all start at chaotic neutral, that means they don't have a backstory. Your, yeah. <laughs> your alignment should reflect your backstory. It should, yeah. Like my cleric who's been in a monastery her whole life and believes in doing what's right should probably be neutral good. Yeah. Whereas like my pirate rogue who's a swashbuckler to her heart and uh, she does what's right for the crew, then maybe it's more true neutral. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hardly, personally, I hardly ever make chaotic neutral characters because I kind of like more guidance yeah. than that. I, I go to chaotic good just because I'm playing an asshole. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, if I do make any kind of chaotic characters, it's more chaotic good than anything. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's it all really depends. We talked about backgrounds last time. It's, it's your background can help define what your starting alignment is. Yeah. Um, but something we never really talked about is the difference between that vertical part, uh, the mm. good and evil. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Because we talked about chaotic versus lawful, but we never really mentioned about good versus evil, which kind of can go without saying. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I feel like neutral is kind of the the gray area, but you kind of get what's going on. And, yeah. But when it comes to good and evil, it's like, you're a dick, you're not a dick. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, making the premeditated choice of being a dick... Yeah. To sometimes being a dick, to if, trying not to be a dick. If you're <laughs> going from village to village, burning everything down and killing anyone you want, good news, you're evil. If you're trying to stop them, you're the good guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, I think this is a good transition into something that I wanted to mention was being in a party with multiple different types of alignment. Well, uh, so that... Let's uh, let's actually do this as uh, the the listener question part of it too. So we're moving right into the listener question. Yeah. Uh, uh, Aaron also asks, is it uh, is it really possible to play a lawful good character in a party where you know most are going to be neutral, chaotic, or even evil in Dungeons and Dragons without being the quote unquote stick in the mud? I gotta say uh, to really just briefly answer that, it depends on how you play it. Yes. Because. You could play it as that stick in the mud, lawful good paladin, which just can't do anything other than it's like, I'm going to take this innkeeper to jail. Why? Because his his food wasn't up to code. Maybe you should calm down. Yeah. But <laughs> it really depends on how you play the character. Let, let me give you a good example. Uh, there's, a, there's a YouTube video somewhere out there from a long time ago, probably over 10 years. And... Long story short, there's a table of celebrity D&D people. Well, celebrity D&D is different now. But Ari Salvatore, uh, Ed Greenwood, Chris Perkins, they're playing. And they brought two people from the audience up to play on the table. That's neat. And one of the audience members is playing a paladin. And so they're walking through. Ed Greenwood's like, I think he was playing the thief and he stole something out of someone's bag. Which is then just playing the stereotype. But then the paladin went and played the stereotype because they walk outside this cave. There's a skeleton and he walks out and tries to convert it. (laughs) And Ari Salvatore says possibly my favorite quote. Oh, good to know in 4th edition lawful good still means lawful stupid. 
And so, yeah. like, there is that stigma. <laughs> if you're, if, like, I know if if we went to our Pathfinder game and I said, I'm playing a lawful good character, about half the table would groan. Yeah. But if I play it right, I can still be lawful good and and not be the stick in the mud. Yeah. Uh, it's just, it's a balance that you got to kind of figure out. Well, not just with your character, but with your table, too. Yeah. And and here here's here's a, a good thought exercise for this. And I know the the character that's in the comic doesn't actually really fit it, but if you're a lawful good character and you're with a bunch of lawful evil characters, you're probably playing the Suicide Squad. Yeah. And you're their handler, so you could totally do that. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. I mean, like that would actually be kind of a fun game. I might be uh, doing something with that with Descent. <laughs> that sounds like fun. <laughs> but I mean, like yeah, you could totally mishmash all the different kinds of alignments and still be playable. I mean, like something that I tell the bookstore games, like when people come up to me and say, hey, I have an evil character. I just say, you know what? As long as there's no infighting, then we can carry on. Yes. Because that's when people take saying, oh, this is what my character would do because they're evil. I'd be like, mm, but then why are you even here? Real talk. I hate the sentence, it's what my character would do. I know. It's almost as bad as just saying it, it, like both of those kind of translate to me of I'm being an asshole, but I'm saying these words to try and make it okay. I physically cringe. Yeah. <laughs> so like, yeah, when people say it's what my character would do, it's just like, well, okay, look at the story and then perceive what your character would do. Yeah. And cause like there have been times where I have said, no, do that. That is what you, that's what your character would do right now. Yeah. And where I, I totally agree with it. But when the entire table is looking at this person going, literally don't do this. They go, that's what my character would do. It's just like, I just, please, no, stop. I keep saying it. What's the first rule? Have fun. Yes. And that also means the whole table. Because if you're doing something that literally stops other people from having fun, reconsider that option. Yeah. Because just because your alignment has an E in it doesn't necessarily mean that you should be a dick to everyone at the table. Yup. That's not what evil necessarily has to mean. Mm -hmm. I mean, evil can also mean other things in each different game, but just because you're the one chaotic evil character in the bunch, uh, maybe it's like, consider your choices when you do make decisions in game. Yeah, 100%. Because especially if there is that lawful good character in there, like you're not just, you're even if you're a rogue, even if you're a thief rogue, even if you're a chaotic evil thief rogue, it would not be a smart move to antagonize the lawful good paladin in your party by stealing from him. Mm-hmm. Because you're not just antagonizing the, per- the paladin in game, you're antagonizing the player that put effort into that character. And you're just saying, oh, I want to fuck with you because that's what my character would do. Mm-hmm. Well, my, my question is for people that do that is like, why is your character with a group? Yeah. That's the number one question. Uh, whenever my players are all like, oh, I kind of want to do an evil campaign. And I say, you know, if you can figure out a way about why you would all stay together and form this group in the first place beyond just you are stopping, like, beyond just you're forced to be together. Well, like, I'll be honest. Like, I, my players have been begging me to do an evil campaign for a long time. Tara has even wanted to do that. Mm-hmm. And so... I had the idea during the descent to, into a Avernus stream that I'm like, I could do Suicide Squad mixed with Mad Max here. Yes. 
I and think that's almost like the point of the descent too. <laughs> well, like, well, they 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 want to have this moral moral turmoil where it's like these soul coins have people in them, and when you use them, you're killing them infinitely. And so, but I'm like, I think I I want to give my players who are like, I want to do an evil campaign, the place where they can be the most evil, but also feel the repercussions of that. Yeah, because, I mean, like, whether you're good or evil, there's going to be repercussions. Yeah. And plus, there's a bunch of devils there that are trying to tempt them. Yeah, so it's going to be great. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's it's very, very, very possible yep. to play with different alignments within your game. Because um, it almost slightly gets a little boring if everyone mm-hmm. is the same alignment. Yeah. Because then everyone is on board for every single plan and no one thinks otherwise. Mm-hmm. Because like there's a little bit there is a little bit of good that can come out of some discourse or at least disagreement from plans. Yeah. Because but, that's what we were talking about, like chaotic versus lawful yeah. is the how you go about things. But I would I would really try to stress that if you are gonna have those arguments, when someone says why, don't go, it's what my character would do, or yeah. that's my alignment. No, no. Like, give an actual give reason. Give an actual reason. Like, if you're the paladin who's lawful good, and you guys need to steal something, and you feel like your paladin wouldn't do that, even though, like, they're a paladin that's specifically to one god and not the law of the land, tell them in world why that affects your your character's beliefs. Yeah. Don't just say, well, I'm lawful good. Yeah, no. You, it, that's, like, the whole purpose of alignments is, like, to provide flavor. So you should, in kind, provide flavor when questioning it. Yeah. Because, I mean, that's that's the fun of the game. It's a role-playing game. You're supposed to role-play. Mm-hmm. <laughs> At least a little bit. Yeah. But... I feel like we talked a lot about I feel like we I feel like we got a, a good amount of, uh, of, of road out of that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Aaron, for writing in. Definitely. But um, that was our show for this week. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to support it, the best way to do that is by leaving a review on your service of choice, as well as telling your friends about the show. If you'd like your questions, advice, or stories read on the show, send them into difficultyclass at gmail.com. And if you'd like to stay up to date on the show, you can follow us on Twitter at Difficulty Class and on Instagram at Difficulty Podcast. So until next week, don't get killed by a Dungeons and Dragons demon or devil, you know. <laughs> that was summoned by a child. Yes. <laughs>